Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Gordon Rapkin, CEO at Ziff Solutions, to the show today. Gordon, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here, Ben. I appreciate great. it. Yeah, great to have you here. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your background. So I'm, I'm a serial CEO. This is my fifth CEO spot at a technology company, almost all of them SaaS or at least not perpetual license. I actually go back to the perpetual license mm -hmm. time, but I've been in the SaaS world for quite a long time. And, you know, in addition to leading companies, I've been in most of the senior executive roles. So chief revenue officer, chief marketing officer, head of engineering and product, uh, oh, wow. you know, all around. The only one I haven't done is, is your world. I haven't been a CFO. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't aspire to be one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that some days that you wouldn't want to be the C CFO. So really interesting. So serial CEO at back in the on-prem days, right? And now SaaS. And then really interesting. So you've been a CRO, CMO, even you said head of product and engineering. Yes. Now yeah, was that, that was a little unusual. Yeah, a little unusual. Was that at smaller scale companies where they just needed a, a leader over those those departments? Uh, no, it was actually a pretty good sized company. And we, we went public. I joined oh, wow. it when it was below 10 million and left it in, I don't know, 160, 200 million, something like that. So pretty good sized company. But, wow. you know, I, I, I think the, particularly on the product side, I, I kind of found myself in an engineering world as almost like the, you know, the spy in the camp. I came out of marketing world into the engineering world and then ended up in a product management role. And, and for me, the, the product management role was really CEO and training. It's, it, it, I think done well, you, you just grasp all the elements of the business and it, you know, kind of set up the career from there. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I'll ask a question that's really not on the agenda today, but as a serial CEO and, and for those listening who are wanting to get into that position within tech companies, anything you've learned along the way that makes a successful CEO at a tech company? Well, you know, every tech company is unique. I, mm -hmm. I think the, for me, you have to kind of be a student of, of the business and you know, I, I feel like to be an effective CEO, you really do have to have a really well-rounded view of all the elements of the business. A lot of times people will guide folks through a sales role to becoming a CEO role. Um, I, I think there's a lot of very successful CEOs that go that route, but I, I feel like it, you have to sort of have the empathy for what's it like to be in some of those other roles because you have to balance that to be effective in leading a company forward. I think the main thing is to, to you know, have a strategic view of where's this company going? What's the market look like? Uh, you, you know, you have to rely on really solid hiring. So the leadership team that you have working with you is, is capable of running the business so that you can be a, a little bit more of a dreamer and a direction setter. I, I'll never forget my first CEO spot. I, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. And, and I had a whole lot of really junior people that had just sort of founded a company. I got hired in to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. And... I was sort of penny pinching and, you know, didn't want to spend any money on anything. So I thought, well, you know, I'm egocentric. I can do it all myself. I'll just do all the roles. And one of my board members kind of took me aside and said, I want you to hire a search firm and I want you to fill a leadership team like yesterday. And I'm like, that's a lot of money. And he goes, it will pay for itself. You need good people. Like you have to have that to succeed. And, and that was just really good advice. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've sort of lived by that. You got to have a really good team around you. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, perfect. Love that. So tell us about Ziff Solutions. What products and services do you offer? Yeah, Ziff Solutions is, is a really special company. And I, I have to say, you know, back in the day, I, 
I always had, in the companies that I was a part of, we always had partners. We always had companies that sold with us or for us or, you know, referred companies to us. But I never really understood that there was a whole technology for managing your partner community and that indirect sales was as, as important an element for, for businesses as it really turns out to be. My favorite statistic that has been thrown around is that something like 75 or 80% of all commerce globally moves through channels of distribution. And so if you think about that, that's, that's an enormous impact on global economies, global commerce. And so what Zip Solutions does is we're a technology platform for managing those channels of distribution. I like to talk about it as like we're the operating system for running your channel. Um, what that really turns into is we do partner relationship management, which is how a company manages their partner community. It's usually encompasses the portal that partners go to. They don't, you know, they don't just call you up on the phone or go to your website. They have a place to go and it's called a, you know, it's partner relationship management portal. So we do that. Um, we, we, also recognized though in our platform, it's called Zift One, and it's a it's a comprehensive platform. So not only do you have to have a place for for partners to go, but you have to help them with how are they going to get leads, and how are they going to get educated, and how are they going to register deals and protect their turf, and you know all the things that go with being a channel partner of a supplier. And so our platform Zift One does partner relationship management. We do channel marketing automation. We do channel learning you know, everything it takes to get a partner community successful. And it's, it's, it's been really rewarding. It's, it's, a, it's an effective offering that a lot of really big companies use what we deliver globally. Yeah, I love that. And so partner relationship management, kind of like CRMs, is, is PRM an actual software category now? Or is, or is that what you're trying yeah. to define? No, it's a, it's a real category. Okay. Um, like I said, back in the day, I didn't know it existed, but when, yep. I, when I got here, I learned about it. And it's a real category. Big companies have PRM systems. It's, you know, it's one of these things that Gartner and Forrester and all the analyst firms, they talk about PRM. And it is a, it is a reflection of what's in a CRM. CRM is usually for your direct sales team yep. and your direct marketing and keeping track of your direct pipeline, direct leads. And when companies have indirect resellers and referrals and distribution and all that, it's it's really different, but it has the same characteristics to it. So you, you need to track a pipeline of your partner's sales that they're working on. You need to help them with marketing for their business that's going to help you to sell. And so I, I've always, I've referred to it as, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They're both really, really good dancers. Fred Astaire's direct. He went, you know, forward. Ginger Rogers had to do it all backwards in high heels. That's the channel. Yeah. And so PRM to CRM is, you know, it's backwards in high heels, but it's, it's, it's got another layer of complexity to it. And, you know, companies that try to build it on their own or do it through their CRM usually don't succeed, particularly when their program scales. Once it scales, you need, you need the right tools. And that seems like, especially in SaaS companies, right, as they mature their go-to-market motion, maybe it's direct sales, maybe it's inbound motion, then they think, well, partners, should we go through a channel? You know, how do we do that? That's, it seems like its own special skill set, as you know. And do you just provide the software? Do you help them at all develop their channel strategy? Or they already know that now they, they need a PRM system to just help with? Well, with no, we're... We're, we're on both sides of that. You know, principally at our heart, we're a technology company and we deliver a platform, but we have a, a fairly robust services organization. The platform itself embodies a lot of best practices. So when somebody, when somebody licenses our platform and we, you know, we turn it on, 
it, it sort of comes all configured with lots of stuff in it that, that they may or may not already know or they may or may want to change. And then they usually engage with us to help them sort of plot out what we call their channel success plan, which is, hey, how are you going to go to market with this, this channel? In a channel success plan, we help them to define their channel goals. Like, you know, are they trying to uh, attract more partners? Are they trying to launch more campaigns through their partners? Are they offering new products through the partner community? And so we help them a lot. But, you know, some of the really big companies, they have their act together. They know what they're doing and they're just mm -hmm. looking for a better platform, more efficiency, yeah. more, you know, more effective platform. And for them, we, you know, we're there if they need us, but they pretty yeah. much know what they're doing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, if you can yeah, have your tech configured with best practices, love it. So when was Zift Solutions founded? So Zift Solutions itself was founded in 2006, mm -hmm. uh, and it was principally a channel marketing platform. In 2017, another company, Relayware, which is actually where I came from, Relayware, which had been founded about the same time Zift was, Relayware was in partner relationship management. Ziff was in channel marketing. We merged the two companies together and created the current Ziff Solutions. And so, you know, we've been at it a long time and we have customers that have been with us for a really long time. Mm -hmm. But from 2017 forward, we really sort of redefined what we brought to market. We built a new program, new platform that combined the, the strengths of those two backgrounds. And it's been sort of, you know, rocket ship upward from there. Yeah, that's great. And where are you located? Do you have a headquarters or you're virtual? So we're mostly virtual. We do have a headquarters in Cary, North Carolina. We have a, a, a you know really big office there. When when COVID hit, you know everybody went home, and we found that when we all went home, we all got really productive, which I think surprised some people because we thought, well, everybody's home, they're not going to be working hard. But everybody worked really hard, and you know the hours shifted. People could fit their work in all around their life, but it, it became really effective for us. And then I think as, as the pandemic stretched on, you know, we needed to hire people and it really took the, the, the boundaries off of hiring. So we could say, well, we don't really care where you are. If you're a good candidate, we can hire you and you can be a part of our virtual company. And so today we have, we have a, an office in Cary, we have an office in Hoboken, New Jersey. We have a, an office in Oxford, England. But really, we have people all over the place, and mm -hmm. uh, we live in Zoom and we yep. and Slack, and we you know we communicate effectively. We were just in Cary, a whole lot of us last week, and you know it's great to be in person. In person is different, but mm -hmm. we've become really effective as a, a remote operation. That's great. Yeah. And what's your current team size? It's about 120 people okay. today, and you know we're we I'm sure we're going to get there in a second, but we just took on a very large investment. And so that team's growing. Yeah. It's about 120 today. Okay, great. Yeah. We'll talk about the investment and then anything you want to share about the scale of your company, ARR size, anything around kind of the magnitude of, of Zip today. Yeah. You know, we're a private company, so we don't publish our numbers, but we're, you know, we're in the just sub $20 million kind of range and, and growing quite rapidly. And so we're, we're happy with where we are and the scale that we're, we're growing toward. And, you know, it's been a, it's been a really good ride for us. We have very, very big customers. We have very, very small customers. We we managed to craft a solution that that fits the market need, and so it's 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 very rewarding. That's great, and you know I love this question. You know, I'll ask about what you know, what is your go to market motion, which is really interesting because you're selling a partner management program, relationship management system. So I'm curious, how do you go and find prospects and land prospects? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty traditional. While we are a company that that you know delivers a platform for selling and managing and marketing through channels, we are a direct, mostly direct business. We have a channel program which we work with. We really appreciate all the partners that work with us. But our our principal go to market motion is a direct uh, approach, and so our marketing is is you know pretty modern marketing that, you know, we're doing demand generation, we're doing mindshare, you know, top of funnel, an awful lot of social and, you know, building awareness for the kinds of things that we do. We are a thought leader. So we do a lot of collaborative work with, with industry experts where we'll put together a, a survey piece that'll be a, you know, blog post or a, or a longer uh-huh. form posting, but it's made up of best practices from people in the industry. And that usually attracts people that are asking the question, like, I think I want to do a channel. What do I need to know? Or uh-huh. I have a channel. How can I be more effective? Or how do I get my partners to be more engaged? So we're we're constantly, we want to be the place they find the answer. And if they find the answer from us, then they're more likely than not to engage with us. And then we have the opportunity to maybe sell them something and license them a piece of software. So it's a it's a fairly traditional enterprise sale kind of an environment for us. Okay. And and tell me about your ideal customer profile. That's a great question. And I, I don't know that I have a great answer. We, we, we talk about this all the time because we, we look at the market in different tiers. And uh-huh. so on the smaller side, that tier of buyer frequently is new to the channel. They've sort of grown to the point where they've got enough partners they can't keep track of it anymore. They, you know, mm-hmm. more than a page of a spreadsheet or more than they can fool their CRM to keep, you know, like an extra field to say this mm-hmm. was a partner deal or something. And so on the small end, you know, our, our ideal customer is someone who's recognized that they have a need to professionalize what they're doing and they want to buy sort of a channel in a box. And so they're going to buy our platform because it's very comprehensive. As you move up the scale, they get a little bit more sophisticated. So some of them may have been companies that that built their own partner portal, or maybe they they used another platform or they used a Salesforce tool or communities to kind of get going. And now they realize that they could be much more effective if they had a better partner experience. And so they're ready to buy. So we're looking at those companies and, and looking for people actually, they've they've kind of been through the first battle and they're ready to you know engage differently with a new platform. And then on the high end, those are usually really large companies that have very sophisticated programs that have often been homegrown technologies. You know, they sort of have a an, an IT team that was capable of building something. So they maybe built a website for their partners. Maybe they built something in Salesforce with lots of you know custom fields and all kinds of things in it. And they're the ones who, who are really driving for efficiency. Like they've, they've figured out what's holding them back. The, the, you know, the, the partner group, the channel team is usually, we talk about it as sort of the redheaded stepchild. They're the, 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 the big focus of the company is always on the direct side. Yeah. And so the, the channel team is, you know, is always sort of wanting for IT resources and you know, building out things for them. So if they can find a solution that gives them future-proof kind of scope and, and ability to do what they want and what they might want to do later. Those are, you know, for them, that's a that's a win. Uh-huh. So on those places, we're looking for companies that actually, you know, they have a program, they have a need, they understand it, and we can give them a, a degree of efficiency. Typically, we're going to sell to somebody who's in a, a role like channel chief, or maybe it'll be the chief marketing officer, uh-huh. occasionally it'll be the chief revenue officer. It's all a matter of kind of how the 
how the buyer has configured their channel into their business. Like where mm -hmm. does it fit in their business? And we're going to be selling to whoever's mostly dominant in that, you know, in running the channel, which could be in any organization. Okay, really interesting. So really an ICP, and it makes sense maybe at your scale of, of three segments or three different ICPs that you're selling into. And you recently raised a large amount of money, but how, first, how much capital have you raised to date? Well, we, we don't really publish that, but it's, it's a bunch. It's a bunch. In, in this round, it was a $70 million overall round. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we're, we're really thrilled. The, the recognition that, that this market is, is so important and growing. The investment was from a company called InvestCorp, which is a very large PE firm, global PE player. We've been really happy with the partnership with InvestCorp. They're they're just top notch, and so you know this is this is a, a step forward for us as a business. It's it's our our market has been sort of the perennial. Next year is the year of the channel tech. Well, I think this year was the year of the channel tech. There was a lot of big investments made into the channel technology stack, and for us, it really gives us that scope to be a, a, a you know real industry leader and competitor going forward. Yeah, really interesting. I just released my fourth annual SAS Tech Stack survey. I ask about CRM solutions. I think I'm going to have to now insert a new category, a PRM category to see what folks are saying. So really important piece of the tech stack. So why you've been around since 2006, acquired another company or merged in 2017. So why raise the 70 million? It, it really is to, to step out, you know, like to, to go from just growing organically and and you know being sort of starved for resource to really go big or stay home kind of question. Mm -hmm. This is a moment that that companies are investing in their channel. We want to be the one they invest with. The the areas that we'll focus on with this capital raise are are largely on the go to market side for marketing, market awareness, probably expand into incremental geographies and verticals. And then on the other side is innovation. We, when we brought our ZIF One product to market, it was very innovative. It's you know we paid off all the tech debt in in SaaS world. Yep. There is no tech debt. It's a modern platform built to scale globally, and so we we have a terrific engineering team and product team, and we have tons of great ideas. And so the two main areas for investment for us are the go to market side and the innovation side. And we really. Mm -hmm. We know that we are capable of innovating, you know, at a pace that's much faster than anyone else in the market because we don't carry that tech debt. Yep. So this is the time to go big. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's interesting, and, and you have tons of experience, serial CEO for tech companies, and now investing in the go-to-market motion, really building up that that area with this raise. And what did you see? Were there triggers, triggers or milestones that you saw that said, this is a good time to raise a decent amount of capital? Well, it's, it's right up your alley. It's SAS metrics. You know, as, as, as we saw the, the CAC ratio improving, our win rates improving, our net revenue retention, and you know, all of the SAS metrics that we typically follow, as they all started pointing in the right direction, and we saw that you know what we built was had a product market fit, and we were winning more than our share. You know we weren't just another player; we were we were winning repetitively, competitively. It it just gave us confidence to say this is the time to put the pedal down and and go forward. And I think that you know companies 
there's a lot of companies that put the pedal down before they're ready and they either disappoint their customer base or there just isn't a, there isn't a buyer out there because they don't have product market fit. But once you've got all that going in the right direction, it just sort of becomes evident that, the, okay, now is the time. Pour some money into this and it'll go. I love that. And of course, I love the plug for SaaS metrics, right? So important because eventually, right, as you start, it's about the story, but eventually you've got to support that story with numbers and SaaS metrics. You know, it's always about the story, but then the numbers now support that story. So I love that. And I mean, this is a great tagline too, almost winning repetitively and competitively. You know, I, I love that, that piece as well. Well, I think, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. The SaaS metrics are, um, it, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Like when you get your business going right, the metrics go right. It, in, you know, and the, the metrics are telling you if your business is going right. And so it's, it's you know, I think with SaaS in general as a, as a business model, we, we really have, over the years, we've really come to understand it. And, you know, that, that the way that companies buy a, a recurring license model business really gives the vendor, us in this case, it gives you a, a, an understandable revenue stream and, and you can therefore build an understandable cost base. And then the metrics help you to measure, like, am I over-investing here or under-investing there? Is it, you know, am I winning like I'm supposed to? Is it, Am I investing too much in sales and marketing? The metrics really help you to, you know, measure, does your, is your business tuned? And, mm -hmm. you know, a tuned engine works better than one that's out of tune. If it's tuned, yeah. it, it's good to go. Yeah, I love that. And so you've got a ton of experience as a CEO for tech companies. And any, any lessons that you could pass on to other CEOs, founders listening out there who've, who've scaled their SaaS company above 10 million ARR, who are looking at a big capital raise, anything that you learned in that $70 million raise? Yeah, I've, I've, I've learned a lot. <laughs> and over, over the years in the different companies, I've, I've been through a lot of these kinds of transactions. You know, the first thing is, is it always takes twice as long as you think it's going to take. And so if you're, if you you know, you need to have a good forecasting model for your business overall cash flow as well as, you know, revenue and expenses mm -hmm. because you don't want to run it to the till the tank is empty and then think about raising capital. It's, you know, you, you got to have a, you got to have a model where you can see to the future. I, I also think that you got to have your house in order. And what I mean by that is you have to have good contract hygiene because a, an investor is going to look at, you know, or your relationships with your customers while they may be recurring revenue and they may be, you know, SaaS license, are they good licenses? Or did you did you commit to things that you shouldn't have in the license model? And are they are they enduring? Like, do you have a good long longevity with your customer base? Sort of total contract value, total you know value of a customer, lifetime value of a customer. And so you got to have your house in order to be able to present all of that effectively. And then when when you finally do get to the place where it's time to you know to bring in the, the close the deal down, you, you got to have your accounting in order. You got to have your, your contracts in order. Like the, uh -huh. the process of getting from, this is a great idea. Let's do this investment to here's my money. I'm investing in you is, is the diligence process is, is very, very rigorous. And so, you know, as a, as a company starts thinking about that motion of I'm going to go raise some capital, you really have to do the introspection to say, is my house in order? Uh -huh. And I think that's kind of the most important thing. And then you got to get your story down. And uh -huh. I think the story, particularly in a SaaS environment, the story is about your competitive differentiation. 
And have you figured out product market fit? And is that market big enough? Total addressable market? Is it big enough? Uh-huh. And you know, I think everybody looks for the total addressable market has to be billions and billions and billions. That's not necessarily true. It just has to have enough blue ocean in it that you can grow your business over the next three, five, seven years at a decent pace and, and not bump into the edges of it and say, well, I've sold everybody. There's no one else to buy. So it's, there's a whole lot that goes into it. It's, you know, it's, this is sort of like, don't try this at home unless you're, you're pretty good at it. <laughs> it's like you need help. And, yeah. you know, I would say seek guidance from a board, from an advisor, from somebody to make sure that you're, you're going down the path the right way. Yeah, some great wisdom and learnings there. And yeah, you mentioned getting your house in order. And then for the folks who may have not gone through due diligence, yeah, maybe you think, oh, it's just my financials, it's my numbers. No, but it's legal. Yeah, it's contract management, reviewing contracts. It's your benefits program, your hiring program, like your tech stack. You know, they just you know look into all areas of your organization when you're raising capital in those amounts. You know, in in our transaction, there were there were advisors that were deeply doing diligence on every one of the things you just mentioned. There's, you know, teams of people that look at your code and your technology and, you know, are trying to judge whether what they're buying is tech debt or whether they're buying a, a tech future. There's, there's people that are going to look at your customer base. Are they satisfied? Are they happy? Are they, will, are they going to stick around? Are they going to buy more from you? So every aspect of the business is going to get scrutinized. And, and that's why I say, you know, your house has to be in order. Yeah, that's that's great, great advice. And just real quick before we wrap up, I mean, if if I'm going for a multi-million dollar raise, say it's 50, 60, 70 million, uh, am I looking at a 12-month time frame, six months? Any guidance there on on if if a founder or CEO is currently looking at uh, a large raise, what kind of time frame they need to look at? I, I think there's a ton of variables in that, but mm-hmm. I would say it's it's at least a six-month process and probably more than that. Because if you're, if you're going to raise a lot of money like that, you, you know, this get your house in order story huh. takes time yeah. and get, just getting your, your pitch deck right, you know, to, to raise a lot of money, you got to really have your, your pitch deck has to be really well constructed, has to tell your story very effectively. And that takes lots of iterations to get it right. Um, we were fortunate. We worked with an investment banker, Atlas Technologies. They were great. They helped us immensely. And I think, you know, anyone who's thinking about that scale of raise is probably thinking about a banker to help them do it. And there are lots of you know really good boutique bankers in the SaaS that, that kind of understand the SaaS business really well and, and can help. But that takes time. That whole process, the marketing of the marketing of the transaction to the people that are potential investors, and then the management presentations to get those potential investors to fully understand what you're doing. And then once you get through that, the, you know, the bidding round and then whittling through the bids to the which one is worth pursuing and getting to know the, you know, the sort of turn the table. So you're now interviewing the investor to figure out which investor do you really want to be in bed with. It takes time. It's, it's, a, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. Great insight there. And really, Gordon, really appreciate you sharing your experience and story today. And as we wrap up, what's next for Ziff Solutions? What's coming up that's exciting? Well, you know, with with a, a, a serious investment now, we have a little bit more freedom to dream and to execute on those dreams. And so, you know, we're we're really intent on how do we innovate? How do we change the dynamic? Because we can see in the marketplace that there's lots of opportunity. We as a company, we have we have tons of data because we have these very large companies. They've, you know, we've been in business a long time. 
So one of the aspects that's really interesting to us is how to, how to turn that data into an asset for our customers in the form of next best action, machine learning, you know, things that will harvest the uniqueness of Zift because we, we have this history. And I, you know, I think what, what we're looking at is trying to really fully understand what's challenging suppliers in the market today about their channel and then innovating to help them to get over those challenges and become more effective. And we have, we have great ideas. We have a terrific team. They've been with the company a really long time. So everybody in the company has got the channel on, you know, in their blood. And, and with a lot of really good customers, we have great insight. You know, customers are usually a, a very good source of um, ideas and, and what to do next. And so we're, you know, I think the the market, yeah, I would say, you know, sort of keep an eye on Zift because uh-huh. the market is hasn't seen anything yet. You know, we yeah. innovated with our Zift One product, but we've just got so much more on the table. That's great. I'll keep an eye on you. So really appreciate your time today. If listeners would like to learn more about Zift, where should we send them online? That one's easy, ZiftSolutions.com. And, and there's plenty there. We, we would love to have anybody that's interested. And if anybody's got interest in, mm-hmm. you know, talking further about the topics you and I've covered, I'm happy to have them communicate directly with me as well. It's Gordon Rapkin at ZiftSolutions.com. Perfect. So check out ZipSolutions.com or if you want to reach out to Gordon directly, Gordon Rapkin at ZipSolutions.com. Gordon, really appreciate you sharing your, your tons of experience and thanks for being on the show today. Ben, this was great. It was so much fun. Thank you.